Well, good morning, everybody. Anybody else over winter yet? I'm officially over winter. Welcome to all those joining us online. And if you're joining us from a much warmer, much farther south, much sunnier place, uh, let us know like what it's like. Tell us again what the sun feels like when it hits the skin and warms you up. I declare it non, I declare it, it's not bald skinny guy season. This is not a helpful season of the year. And those of you non-bald and non-skinny types, you remind me it's not your season either. So we'll just continue to move on together. Open up your Bibles, John chapter 13. Let me tell you where we're headed this morning. We're going to talk this morning about really one sentence. We're going to anchor ourselves one sentence from Jesus that he spoke to a man named Peter. And in this one sentence, I think he unpacks a reality that we all experience in life, but that we have a really difficult time talking about for the most part. And here's the sentence. So Peter's one of his followers, uh, young in his faith for sure, but uh, pegged to be a leader. And Jesus is wanting to build some things in him. And he says this to, to Peter. This is John 13, verse 7. It says, Peter, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. You do not realize now what I am doing. I thought about how much of my life I've lived right there. That's where some, that's where some of you come in this morning, like that's a commentary on your 2019, or your commentary on your this week. You... You do not understand now what I am doing. How much of my life I've lived saying, Lord, I don't understand what's going on here. I don't have an answer for what's happening here. I don't know. I can't see. But later, later, you will understand. St. John of the Cross was a Catholic priest, a mystic. He lived in Spain in the 1500s. He, he put a phrase on what this line from Jesus is getting at. He called it the dark night of the soul. He talked about those seasons in our life, those experiences where God leads us into this dark night of loving fire. A place where you just come to the end of yourself. Experientially, you feel completely helpless. It's a helplessness, a weariness, a barrenness, and an emptiness. It's that experience with God where you're praying and you feel like God is unresponsive and inattentive. Like your prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. What are you doing, God? Where is this going, God? I can't see, I don't know, I do not understand. It's the dark night of the soul. And here's the thing with the dark night. We don't get to decide when they occur, and we don't get to decide how long. It would be wonderful if it was just a one class, kind of like in, you know, when you were going through your studies, going through high school, college, graduate school, like you had one of those classes you really didn't want to do, but you just had to gut it out and get through it, and you graduate, ooh, that's so good when you get that in the rearview mirror. I wish the dark night was like that, but there will be multiple of these in our journey. And so the question today, I want to peel back some layers on is, what is God doing? Where is God at work 
in this space? How is he coming to us in a space that's just kind of known for where some of you enter into 2019 and that might be the title you'd put so far on your year? So I want you right now to bring to remembrance a dark night of the soul season or experience in your life. I want you to bring it to the front burner right now. It could be when a marriage ended in betrayal and hurt. It could be sitting beside the bed of a loved one that you're watching their physical body fade away and you just feel so helpless and you're filled with so much pain because they're in pain. It could be a vocational situation. It could be a work, you know, where the leader's in the office and and they get together and they reorg the department and all of a sudden you're on the outside looking in and you're thrust into job loss and financial instability and insecurity. It could be you've got a wayward son or daughter where you just go, I can't see, I don't know. Or it could be You've been crying out to God for a breakthrough, for an answer to something you feel like is something so on his heart that you want, that you believe he wants for you, and it continues to be unanswered. He continues to be seemingly unresponsive, and it's this grand mystery of what do I do with that? I want you to bring that to the front burner right now, which for some, it's not difficult to do because it's your current. And I want you to hold that now in the forefront as we get into the text here in John 13, okay? If you haven't pulled out your message notes, they're in your bulletin that you received on the way in, or you can fire up the app, and you can get them electronically there. So here's the setting, John 13. It was just before the Passover feast, though the three pilgrimage feasts for the Jews, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. And as we talked about last week, Passover was a massive gathering in Jerusalem where they remembered the Exodus 12 events when God extracted them out of Egyptian slavery. It was an important celebration, theologically significant. Jesus decided he was going to leverage the gathering at the Passover feast to move things forward in his plan and purpose for his time on earth. So Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. So as we discussed, John 1 through 11, John chapter 1 to 11 cover the first 33 years of Jesus' life. John chapter 12 to the end of the gospel cover the last seven days of his life. So it shows us where John wants our focus to be, right? The significance of the culminating work of his final week. And he knew this week was coming. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. That's an amazing line. The full extent of his love is about what he's going to show here. Verse 2, the evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So if you have your Bibles out and you have a pen in your hand, I want you to underline in verse 3, Jesus knew. And I want you to underline in verse 4, so he got up. And I want you to think about the connection here between Jesus' identity 
Jesus knew who he was. His identity was one of a servant. He had come to give his life away. His identity formed and fueled his actions. Because Jesus knew who he was, he knew who the Father had called and created him to be, then his actions, he picked up a basin of water and a towel and he washed some dirty feet. Because he knew he was a servant, acts of servanthood would flow. And this is a key part in our formation, our experience to understand who we are shapes what we do. And in this instance, what Jesus was doing was so outside the bounds of culture that it took the breath away of everyone watching it. So foot washing, because in that time, the, dirt, the roads were all dirt covered and the sandals were all open-toed sandals. That's the shoes that they wore. And because they didn't have plumbing, all of the, you know, the bodily waste from the homes and things would just kind of run out onto the streets and the sidewalks. And so your feet got covered with a lot of stuff that needed to be washed off and washed up when you entered someone's home. Well, guess who that assignment was given to? It was given to the youngest, all you younger siblings. Yay, yay, yay. So this is when you want to be the younger brother or the younger sister. It's the youngest and least trained servant in the house that's supposed to have the basin of water and the towel and grab the dirty feet. Everyone knew this. That's just how it was. And Jesus now steps into the scene, and he now grabs the basin of water and the towel, and he starts washing the disciples' feet. Do you see this? Because he understood he was a servant. And so his acts of servanthood would flow. But what we're going to focus on this morning is, what is he doing in Peter through this? So backdrop on Peter is, when Jesus first called him, his name was Simon. Simon's name means shifting sand. It means unsteady. So when Jesus first comes to Peter, he calls a young man who's a fisherman. He says, hey, come follow me. And he sees shifting sand stuff, unsteady, unstable things. And then you know where the story goes. He changes his name to Peter, and Peter's name means what? It means rock. He takes sand and turns it into rock. He takes that which is kind of unsteady and he provides a stone-like stability. How does he do that? Through the dark night of the soul. He takes Peter into some experiences like this one. He said, Peter, you do not realize now what I am doing. But later, you will understand. And I love it when the later is just like maybe a few days. That's super great when God does it that way. I'm so thankful for that. How difficult is it when the later turns into, right, months, years? And for some of you, your dark night, the full later is going to come when you pass from this life to the next and you sit with your Savior and He pulls back the rest of the story in a way that the ingredients in this life were never able to piece together. But know this, later is coming. But a good portion of our journey is going to be lived in the front half of verse 7, which is right where Peter is, right? Listen how Peter, Peter responds here, verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, 
Are you going to wash my feet? <laughs> this is Peter. This is Peter. He's so impulsive. Like, he just wants, he speaks before he thinks. He likes to be in control, fairly bossy, even wants to boss Jesus around. Like, Peter's not the guy you'd probably want to have in your life group. Wouldn't be the easiest guy in your life group. Peter'd be a tough guy to have at your alpha table. Like, he'd be that kind of guy. Like, Peter just, a lot like all of us, likes to be in control, kind of speak before we think, like to know where things are going. And just one of those guys who's got some unsteady, shifting, sand-like stuff going on inside of him. Says, Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet, are you? Surely not. Kind of coaching Jesus up on what's going on here. And Jesus, that's when he gives him verse 7. Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing. But later, you will understand. Peter's response, no, said Peter. You shall never wash my feet. How about that? In the original, it's, no, you shall never, ever, ever. It's that line that your parents used on you, right? For me, it was Eric Scott Simpson. When that came out of mom's mouth, it went to a different place. Does anybody have that? Like there was a certain tone, and then there was the full name. When those two got put together, that's right here. Peter's saying that to Jesus. You'll never, ever, ever is this going to happen, Jesus. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And then look at, look at Peter's answer. Then, Lord, Peter replied, but not just my feet, my hands and my head as well. <laughs> so how about that? Peter's like, well, they just wash all of me. So Peter's focused on physical dirt. Jesus is talking about spiritual dirt. Peter's focused on physical cleansing, hands, head, feet. Give me a bath, Lord. And Jesus is about spiritual cleansing. Very common we see, right, when people engage with Jesus and have a dialogue with him. He's talking about a reality they're having a hard time grasping, and this is where Peter's at. And how he takes some things. Do you see this process now of how he transitions and moves Simon, those unsteady places in Simon, how does he move them to a stone-like stability in Peter? That process, I think there's... Right, if we're all honest, right, we're all on a journey from Simon to Peter at some level. We've all got unsteady, sand-like, shifting sand-like stuff in here. That's the journey. We're all kind of somewhere in there from Simon to Peter. The Bible term for that would be discipleship. And you know what's central to discipleship is how that process works? The dark night of the soul. And do you know what an anchor for the dark night of the soul is? John 13, 7. You do not realize now what I'm doing. But later, later you will understand. In my mid-20s, Kendra and I had been married just three or four years. Both my parents and her parents went through a divorce in a condensed time frame. And all the dominoes that flowed from that. That was the dark night of the soul. I remembered in our 30s when Kendra was pregnant with Kaylin, our now 14-year-old, and it was her third trimester she was in, and she was having some complications. I remember sitting with the OB and the technicians, and you know you have the doctors and the nurses and all the folks sitting with you, and they have that look on their eyes that... Nobody in the patient side wants to see the look of high degree of concern. And it was her amniotic fluid level was dropping to the point where we're like, um, 
pressure here. That was a dark night of the soul. I remember in my later 30s, early 40s, I, I remember the, I had a group of friends that got together, at least I, I thought they were friends anyway, they got together and they typed out an eight-page, single-spaced, about 11-point font document on me and my life and my leadership, all the things that they didn't like and didn't agree with, and the conclusion was I needed to find something else to do with my life. I wasn't fit to be a pastor in their eyes. That was a dark night of the soul. Those times where I just go, Lord, what are you doing? I was so tired. It was so difficult. I, I felt like when I was praying, the prayers just hit the ceiling and bounced off. I was at the end of myself. I, I couldn't see how I was going to get, I couldn't see a light. It just seemed to be more darkness. I didn't have a phrase like we're talking about today. I didn't have the dark night of loving fire in my mind. I wish I would have met St. John of the Cross back then. That would have been a helpful companion because I look back now and I see that was, right? That's God taking some things inside of my own life, taking the Simon-like stuff in here, the shifting sand-like stuff in here, the stuff that's unsteady, and moving it to more Peter-like, stone-like stability. How is he doing that? He's leading me. He's with me. He's a Simpson. You don't realize now what I'm doing. You, you can't see it. The experience side is you're just barrenness, weariness, emptiness. A sense where God seems distant. That's the experience side of it. We know God's just as near, perhaps even closer during that stretch. I just couldn't see it. I just wanted the circumstances to change, to get out of the dark night. Simpson, you do not realize what I'm doing right now. But later... Later you'll understand. And so many of you in this room and some joining us right now from their own dark night settings are much more qualified than I to stand up here and talk about these things. Some of you could write many books and many chapters. And what I attempt to do with the remainder of the message is I just want to talk about, I want you to listen now, what, what does Pete Scazzaro say? Listen to what he says here. Pete Scazzaro wrote a book, um, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and in there he, he taps on this dark night theme, and he says this about him. Our greatest temptation when we hit these dark nights is to quit or go backwards. But listen to this. If we remain still, listening for his voice, God will insert something of himself into our character that will mark the rest of our journey with him. Isn't it, I was thinking about this, like, the people I most look up to and admire in my life, do you know what a common thread is there? They've navigated multiple dark nights and stayed with Jesus in them. Not exempt from them, they have multiple. But well, I suspect in all of our lives, the people we're most drawn to, the people who just, you just know when you've been around someone who's come through the dark night of loving fire with Jesus, you know it. 
You know it. There's something that's been inserted into their lives that I don't think anything else will. And so what I want to talk about now is what are some, like you can think of these as like three insertions maybe of God in the midst of the dark night. What God are you possibly doing in this? This is my attempt kind of reaching back, looking back on it, being with you in your own dark nights and saying, where is the work of God in this space? Because that will be there is not the question. The question is, will we stay with Jesus? Will we stay with him in this space and let him insert in us whatever it is he wants to insert? Because we're not in charge of when they occur and we're not in charge of how long they last. You don't realize now what I'm doing. But later, later you'll understand. So the first word I wrote down was, there's something, there's a work. I want you to think of three movements or insertions now in the dark night. The first one is, it's a, it's a work of detachment. There's something about life and the, the human condition where we just get attached to things so easily, right? Man, good things, right? We get attached to our health, our family, our friends, our finances, our career, our ministry. We get attached to things. And we can hold those things with such a tight grip that we can't imagine life without them. And do you know, one of the things God does, he leads us in the dark night. Here's the work of the dark night. He gets us to loosen our grip in the dark night. There's something about a loosening of the grip. Now hear this, stay with me now. Even in our walk with God, this happens. See, when you start out a walk with God, here's what can happen. You can start following and fall in love with the feelings you get for God and from God. And you can get so enamored with the feelings, and they're wonderful. Isn't it amazing? Next week, we're going to have several people get baptized. You know what's amazing about Baptism Sunday? We get to live once again back in our own baptism moment or some loved one that you've had moments together with like that, and you ride this wave of tasting grace and experiencing forgiveness and having God's companionship in your everydayness and answering prayer and coming through. There's these feelings for God that are amazing and overwhelming. Overwhelming, and they're so personal. And some of you are right there because your walk with God is in that space. Hallelujah. We need to hang around you. Just be around you. And remember, this is why I personally try to prioritize time with people who are young and new to the faith. Why? Because their feelings for God are just so fresh and alive and full. And here's, here's what happens. Here's what God knows. We can just get attached so strongly to those feelings for God that we realize we're not really following God himself. We're just following the feelings for God. Do you know where that transition happens? The dark night of loving fire. It starts melting away those feelings for God. And some of you are in that place in your walk where that journey, you're reminiscing about the way God used to be with you. That's how the language comes up. Well, I remember when God was like, here, here's what you think about. I want you to think that God's calling you deeper. He's calling into a new space. He's weaning you off the feelings for God so that you're left with following him for himself. That's the dark night. Really, nothing else gets at that like the dark night does. I remember recently I, I was sitting with a friend. It's been a stretch in the congregation where we have a number of families who 
or going through some especially challenging physical things going on, and you've received, those of you who are on the email distribution, lots of, appreciate all your prayers. You've been praying for so many families here, just going through tough stuff. And I was sitting recently with one, a friend, and, and we were just talking. His body's breaking down. He lives hard. I mean, he's, he, he, he's a jet setter. I mean, he goes hard. And he's ridden his body pretty hard, and and he started talking about all the things that were on the agenda. You know, you kind of get your life mapped out when you turn to a new year, right? At all the big projects and all the jet setting that was going to, all the all the things going to knock it out in 2019. All of a sudden, the body pushes back and shuts him down to a degree where he's sitting in a hospital bed and all the stuff hooked up to him and all the doctors and nurses coming in and out and they have some conversations that he hasn't had before in a very sobering time. I'm sitting with him and played a couple of songs, read some scripture and we prayed and some tears started to stream down the cheeks and I started talking about this journey of letting go. Church, you realize, right, every single one of us is going to let go of everything. We're going to let go. Even the things we love most deeply, like you're going to let go. You're going to let go of your spouse. You're going to let go of your kids. You're going to let go of your health. You're going to let go of your 401k. You're going to let go of your career. You're going to let go of all those dreams. You're going to let it all go. When you get to the end of the run, it's a journey of letting go, except one. You will not let go of God. He's the one. You'll let go of everything else, and it'll just be you and Jesus. That's it. There is nothing else. It doesn't mean all those things don't matter. Of course they matter. We care for them well. We love them well. Here's the thing. The dark night of the soul reminds us we can't get so attached to them that we can't imagine our lives without them. Why? Because you will let go. And he trains us in that. Do you know where that training ground comes? The dark night. When you end up in a place where everything's out of your hands, and it's really just you and Jesus. It's like you get a little preview of the end of the run, and it isn't quite the end of the run yet. Some of you have been there. You get a little preview, and oh, that just settles the ground, right? You just all, whoo, a whole bunch of stuff that was a bucket priority, it just shifts a little, and it reminds us of what matters the most. That's dark night stuff. Psalm 46.10 is a great, kind of prayer to pray for those of you specifically in this movement with the dark night. If you're going through a detachment work in your life right now, Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. An accurate translation is this, loosen your grip and know that I am God. I love that translation. Loosen your grip and know that I'm God. There's a work right there of detachment. Listen to how Thomas Merton 
says it this way. I love Merton's writings. He says, I wonder if there are 20 people alive in the world now who see things as they really are. Hear this now. That would mean that there are 20 people who were free, who were not dominated or even influenced by an attachment to any created thing or to their own selves or to any gift of God. It's the dark night that trains us. Loosen your grip and let go. So there's that movement of detachment. It's an insertion maybe of detachment. Then there's this movement of mystery. I put the second one as mystery. I want you to think of mystery as like there's this There's this work in life that has to happen where we just have to become increasingly comfortable with the holy unknowings of life. We're not very good at that. I'm not very good at that. I like to be in control. I like to know what's coming. I like to just, I just kind of like to have a sense of where this is going. And you know what? The older you live and the more you go through, here's like a maturing, like you're not nearly in control as you think you are. And you don't know nearly as much as you think you do. That's actually maturity, right? There's this healthy, like, settling into all of the unknowings. That there's so many grand mysteries in this life. It doesn't matter how many degrees and letters you've got by your name. If you're honest, you're like St. Thomas Aquinas. Do you know St. Thomas Aquinas? He wrote 20-volume theological treaty on God. There's a picture of his 20-volume set. He was a Catholic priest. He lived in the 11, 1200s there. Your 20-volume set on God. Here's the opening sentence to his 20 volumes. Quote, this is the ultimate knowledge about God, to know that we do not know. Wow. That's the opening sentence to his 20 books. That's a man who's been through the dark night. That's a man who's become increasingly comfortable with settling down into what you don't know. It doesn't mean you don't worry. He clearly worked hard. He clearly was a smart guy and thought a lot about God. It doesn't mean there weren't things to write. It just means there's this insertion in your soul that says, There's a mystery in this life with God. If you think you can map him out, graph him out, box him in and plot it out, right there, hey, that right there that you think you can do, he'll shift in a completely different sheet of paper. You're you're not even on the same page. And he's going to write a script that's not even in your category. This is what the Isaiah 55 when the prophet says, this is a, my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, he says to Isaiah. How high? As high as the heavens are above the earth. That's like his way of saying, no, never, ever are you going to be able to box me in, plot it out, graph it out. You're not nearly as in control as you think you are. You cannot map this, graph this, decide this, run this. Do you know what trains us in all that? The dark night. The dark night gets us to settle down into this grand mystery. And mystery isn't the absence of meaning. It's the presence of more meaning than we can comprehend. That's dark night stuff. That's how does Simon go to Peter in that? It's like, hey, you don't understand now what I'm doing. But later, Peter, later, you'll understand. And Peter wants to be in control. He wants to decide. You'll understand 
So there's this insertion of detachment. There's this insertion or movement of mystery. And then lastly, I wrote down, there's this insertion slash movement of waiting. Have you noticed this with God? God's not seemingly in a hurry about anything. I think a book title I read once was Catch Up with the Three-Mile-An-Hour God, something like that. I was like, I love the title. It's like, that's it. Generally speaking, as humans, we're not very good at staying in step with God because he just moves at a little slower pace, quite a bit slower than we prefer. Here's our role as humans. We, we like to accelerate the march of destiny. We get ahead of him. We decide stuff. We run stuff. We move things along. We finish the script. We take things into our own hands. We do it in our own strength. We create all kinds of messes doing it that way. We don't do what Psalm 27 says. Psalm 27 says this, right? Be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. So what are you waiting for in the dark? You're waiting for the Lord. What are you waiting for? You're waiting for the Lord to come and to take you through what you could never get through. You're waiting for the Lord to come and bring further light where all you see is darkness. You're waiting for the Lord to come and bring strength when you're at the end of yourself with weariness. You're waiting for the Lord to come and to break through and break in in ways where you just get to the end of yourself and say, God, if you don't show up, God, if you don't come through, I'm at the end. That's dark night stuff right there. It's waiting. How do, how do we get better at waiting? I don't know that we're ever going to be really great at it. I just think we can mature in it. And certainly culturally, all the ingredients around us in suburban North America are not training us in waiting. Right? They're training us in waiting for the click. Right? The click is the new measurement for our waiting. So there's a study going on, right, when you click on something, how long you're going to wait before the spiral of death shows up on your phone that way, right? That right there, they've measured like, oh, that's, that's all our degree of patience and waiting. I was thinking, how far is that from be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord? How does he take the click-like waiting stuff, our definition, and move it to waiting for the Lord. How does that happen? The dark night. So you see these three movements. Do you see how kind of one flows into the other? I think detachment flows into mystery, flows into waiting. There's this overlapping insertions that go on if we'll stay with Jesus. That's really our part here, right? When we're thrust into these kinds of moments, we're, our work is to stay with him because everything within us is going to want to run. We're going to want to push away, give him the spiritual Heisman, go another direction. Push, ah, I just want out. And we'll try to move things along and just stay with him. Stay with him in the dark night. And if we'll do that, we'll see that the answer to the question, how, how does the Simon-like stuff inside of us become more Peter-like? How, how does sand become rock? How does the unsteady stuff become more stable? This. Where you settle down with Jesus in John 13, and you hear him say to you, you do not understand now what I'm doing, but later. Later you will understand. Worship team, why don't you come on up?
I'm going to close with this quote from Pete Scazzaro. So Pete Scazzaro wrote about in his book, as he was coming out of a dark night, I thought his commentary about the experience of coming out of it was helpful. Listen to what he said. I still remember coming out of it. I began to crawl and to feel for the first time, saying to myself, something is different, totally different. I cannot explain it, but I feel freer than ever from people's opinions. Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? More clear about who I am, more certain of God and his love than ever. Those are some good markers for when you're coming through one phase. Do you see that? Like Pete's saying, that's how Simon's moving to Peter in his life. That's how sands turn into rock in him. You see that? Through the dark night. And so I ask you at the beginning of the message to bring a personal dark night experience to the front burner. You have it? Got on your front burner? Sit right there. Now I want you to picture in this moment Jesus walking up to you just like he did to Peter. Can you envision this? Just picture him coming up to you and he gives you that eye contact. You know that eye contact? That eye contact with someone that says, what I'm about to say, I really need you to pay attention to. Jesus comes up to you and gives you that eye contact. You got that dark night in the front burner right now? He looks at you and says, you do not realize now what I am doing. But later, you will understand. Let's pray. Lord, in these moments, at this time, so much across this congregation, doing this life together, come, Lord Jesus, come. Insert what you want to insert. Give us the... Give us the strength and energy beyond ourselves to stay with you right now. It's so hard. It's so long. It's so confusing at times. And yet we know you are with us, and we know you are good, and we know you're at work. And we just want to make a covenant together right now to stay with you. harvest out of this things more glorious than our eyes can see right now. Have your way, Lord.